everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. I just got to say one thing. Extend Sunny Cumbie. The Frogs win 37-27 over the Texas Longhorns. That's four out of five, five out of six, seven out of nine. I don't know. All I know is it's an easy pick. When the Frogs play the Longhorns, take the Horn Frogs because Gary Patterson has had their number since we joined the Big 12. We're going to talk about this game and a few and a whole lot of other things. Things are shaking up in the Big 12. We're going to take a deep dive into all of it on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Jeremy, anxiety was at a record high just like four days ago. Frogs go out there, take care of business, double-digit win over Texas. Let me just ask you, did you expect this? No, I didn't expect it. I don't think anyone really did, unless you're wearing purple shaded glasses, I guess you could say. But uh, I I didn't expect them to win, but I did know in games against Kansas State – like we talked last week, that the game against Kansas State, it was really player execution, and it just boiled down to that. I don't think it was the coach's fault. I don't think Sonny Cumbie had bad play calls against the Wildcats. Uh, you can question whether or not Coach Patterson had a bad call late in the game, but it was really just something that I thought could happen down the line. I didn't think it would happen against Texas. Well, it happened, and that's the good thing. I will remind everyone who picked who picked TCU to beat Texas last week on our show. I don't know. That would oh, that I would be play. me. But, no, I think it was me. But my brother, who listens to this show, wrote me and says, "I don't think you've ever picked against uh, TCU." And I said, "Oh, a couple times." He goes, "That doesn't count." So yeah, I picked Texas. I picked TCU to beat Texas, but I picked this to basically win every game this season and <laughs> since the inception of this show in 2015. Because I am a total homer. I know it, and I own it. You know, the guy that really took control of this game, Daniel, is Max Duggan. You know, this is the guy. This is the game that, that Frog fans have been waiting for. This is the guy that so many fans had put a lot of hopes into, especially at the beginning of the season, saying, just roll the dice with Duggan. He's going to figure it out. He figured it out on Sunday or on Saturday. He really put up a great game on the ground, in the air, strong choices, but probably – just that energy and that fire. He he had the team on his back, especially on that last drive. What's your takeaway of watching, uh, I call him Hacksaw Duggan, uh, in, after this game? You have to feel good about Max after watching them against the Longhorns, do you not? Yes, uh, I feel I feel pretty good. Uh, it's, it's almost as if you can kind of just, you can kind of feel him coming into his own, uh, you know, true freshman. Yeah, he's got the raw talent. But you got to refine it a little bit and, and get him ready for for the big time atmosphere and all of that. And he's shown signs of it all year, but he just hadn't really put it together. But um, that one touchdown he made, you know, throws up the frog real hard. You know, I mean, it was just like, and the whole team was coming together between that and then all the the, the turnovers they were getting and everything. It just felt everything felt like it was something was. Like it's like the, the the monkey was off their back or whatever the phrase it is, and it, it's something you know it was like a, a relief a release of the stress of the season, and they just they let it out, beat their ass, <laughs> and uh, you know I, I feel like things are going to be better going forward. Something something feels different after this week. 
Yeah, I agree with you. There was a lot of angst and anxiety that got released in this game, especially that closing drive. We're going to look at that in just a second here, Jeremy. But you know, there was there was just so much you know chatter and bitterness and backstab. You know, I don't you know backbiting. I don't want to say backstabbing. Things were not feeling well, and you know, all of us armchair quarterbacks on message boards and on Twitter. Like, oh, they're losing the team, or they're not listening to Coach Patterson, or why you know, why don't we roll out Mike Collins and see what can happen? All of a sudden, everything starts to click, and you see that you know, this is a young team. This they have a handful of guys that are gonna play on Sunday, and everybody else is a freshman, a redshirt freshman, or a sophomore. And those few guys will look really good on draft day in the spring, but they look real. I mean, everybody else is young and they have to grow up. And I know that sounds like a coaching cliche, but it was true. We watched Max show uh, grow up, and we watched Max show up, especially on this last drive of the game. Jeremy, the Frogs got the ball back, only winning by three with 6:50 left in the game. What were you thinking when they took possession? Uh, you know, took, you know, started that drive very deep back on in, at the other end of the field, and then walk us through what you saw and what you um, what you were able to describe and experience watching Max lead them down the field to the win. I mean, it's great. I think we all saw, we all kind of knew the whole season that the game wasn't really too big for Max. Sure, he made some mistakes um, all year long, had some missed throws, maybe made some questionable decisions, but he he really looked like a seasoned veteran on that drive. You had a big third down where he throws that great 16-yard pass to John Stevens, and John Stevens makes, makes a great catch on the sideline, and it, it, you continue the drive, but the the play that just really, I think, sparked everything was when he got rushed on a second down. He scrambles out, avoids a tackle, gets downfield. He gets clobbered by Keandre Coburn, and he immediately bounces up, and he signals the first down. And it was at that point, it's kind of like, finally, that kid shows some great emotion because he was just kind of like just out there. And, and really, I think that play sparked the rest of the team. Even Merrick said after the game, that was really good to see, and the sideline was going crazy. But he comes back, another big third down, third down and 14, I believe, throws a great pass to, to Tay, and, and Tay makes a, a spectacular adjustment on it, hauls in a big catch, gets the ball down to the 11, and next play, Max runs in and, like Daniel said, throws up the frog sign and, and all of us in the press box, I looked at you, Jeff, and, and, and I showed you my forearm and the hairs on my forearm were sticking up and so were yours. The, the place was just buzzing. I'm not going to go come on here and say this, that was the most electric crowd ever at Amon Carter Stadium, but it was really nice. It was an electric atmosphere, by far the best of this season. But you saw you saw a coming of age with Max. It It, it was one of those games where – the players had talked about it all all year long. We know he's going to have a good game at some point. We don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to be a game where all you guys are going to see what we see in practice, what makes him so special. And that's really what it was. And if you go back to the first half, Jeff, that last drive, I mentioned this on my snap ju- judgments, he was six for seven. And I think that last drive shows should show everyone how confident – this team is in in that true freshman quarterback. You're you're basically at your own six yard line with what under a minute to go, and they're letting Max throw the football. Gary Patterson is letting a true freshman quarterback throw the football, and we we know when you throw the football, two out of three things are bad. 
two out of bad, uh, two out of three things are bad. And none of that happened. He threw some great passes. He looked poised and he got them down, got them in field goal range. And that was the difference in the game. If you look at it, Griffin Kell had a, a great 52 yard field goal. And I think that gave them momentum going into the second half, but I'm not, it, it's, it's hard not to get too excited. Someone was making fun of me because last year I wrote the same kind of story about Sean. The difference with, with what I see in Max and what I see with Sean is Max has that personality where, and, and I've mentioned this on the board, he, he hates to lose more than he loves to win. And that's what Gary Patterson said today. And, and you got to love that about a quarterback, a quarterback that at all costs will go out there, put the team on his shoulders, just like he did on that fourth quarter drive. And everyone's talking about him still two days later. And I mentioned this on my story too, is you watch that game. TCU had the better quarterback that day. And you're talking about a guy that was the preseason big 12 offensive player of the year for Texas and Sam Ellinger. So I don't want to uh, anoint too much on Max. Uh, He's had a a pretty good year. He did throw his first interception. I think he needed to get, get rid of that and not worry about it too much, but it's really, really uh, promising to see him play that way. And I don't give a care how, bad Texas is hurt, how, what guys are missing in the secondary. You, you, you still got to go out there and make those plays. You still got to execute them. And that, that 51 yard pass to Tay Barber was on the money. That 44 yard pass to Jalen Rager on the money. And man, you, you just can't, you just can't say enough about the way Max really played with, uh, he was really resilient out there after throwing that pick came back and, and just played toughest nails. I mean, TCU fans should be overjoyed for having that guy quarterback. You know, let me walk you through that last drive before halftime. I know we're going to have a lot of focus on that drive to, to, you know, ice the game, but you look at that last drive before halftime, 17 yard pass to Shea Then he gets an out, you know, an eight yard out route to John Stevens. The next, uh, the next pass, 10 yard gain to T hunt. Then we have another completion, 11-yard completion to T. Hunt, six-yard pass to Tay Barber, incompletion, timeout. Then another completion to John Stevens Jr., and then they go out there and they kick that 52-yard field goal. You know what's missing in that drive where he led them down the field where Patterson could have taken a knee? Was it the Jalen Rager? Oh, really? He didn't. He didn't. He didn't need Jalen Rager, who is obviously the best wide receiver on this team, a guy that's going to play on Sunday, a guy that we need to continue to have more games, even more so than what they had on Saturday. They didn't even need Rager in order for Max to drive that team down the field. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to look to Rager and make it happen. If he's open, throw it to him. If he's in a window and you can get it in there, let it rip. But he was able to, except for Shewa, who picked up 17 yards on that first drive, all those other guys are sophomores, and Max is a freshman, and they march it down the field, and they have a walk-on kicker go out there and kick a 52-yarder. That's good for now, and that's good for 2020, 2021. That is – that I mean, man, that Frog fans have to be excited, not only because of the grit that they showed in this game, but the production came from people that they're investing in early, they're trusting early, and they're putting up a win on the board against Texas with guys that are going to be playing in this game for two or three or four more – or two or three more years. That's the part that gets me excited. You know the play I didn't mention, and you might want to talk about this in a minute, so uh, I apologize if you were, but – 
the play where he's basically standing in his own end zone and Malcolm Roach gets past Lucas and, and basically takes his head off. His helmet completely spins around. Malcolm got away with the face mask, but somehow Max gets out of that tackle, runs out of the pocket, jukes another Texas defender. But before he does the juking, he has the wherewithal to – he's running. He, he adjusts his helmet as he's running, and he ends up picking up 11 yards, which, which everyone in that stadium probably thought it was going to be a safety when they saw Malcolm Roach get around Lucas the way he did. But just another gritty play by Max, man. It just You, you had a ton of plays that you could talk about in that game, and that's one of the top ones that I think I can remember. Yeah, and the best part about that was he got to about the eight and had to make a guy miss to get the first down, and he made him miss, and he got out there to the 12. That was a beautiful play. Yeah, that's that's not one that's going to show up on the highlights or Sports Center, or it's not going to get seen 900,000 times on Twitter. But my goodness, those are the kind of plays that you can't script, but you have to count on. And Max has shown on a big stage against Texas, he was able to uh, he was able to show up, and that's the kind of play that that allows a game like that to go from a safety to a first down. So, so the last two games, man, he's averaged, there's a lot. He's averaged 202 yards passing, and he and he's averaged, I think. 89 yards on the ground. I'll take that from a quarterback any day of the week. Every single time. I would take that every single time. Every single time. All right, let's go back here. Uh, All right, Tay Barber, you know, catches that 36-yard pass um, down the – you know, he catches that 36-yard pass that gets him down there um, on third and 14. Max runs the zone read, pulls it, and, and, and walks right in there. Am I the only one that thought, you know, they threw that pass, they get downfield, and then they just line up and run that zone read pretty quick. So they're able to utilize tempo in a healthy way. They don't have to go fast every single play. If they got a three and out, you don't want to take nine seconds off the clock. But I felt as if I'm, – I'm, the, the transition here is I feel as if Sonny – not only called a good game, but he knew how to use the weapons that he had when they needed to be used. And I think that that's a great, you know, I, I you got to give him credit. If you if you were dogging on Sonny Cumbie in the weeks before, some of it justified, some of it not, you got to give him a lot of props for this game because they put 37 points on the board. And I felt like they were able to use all the weapons that they had when they needed them, especially there with the game on the line. Yeah. I mean, Sonny, Sonny called a really good game and, there, there was a lot of good discussion on the board about it, how uh, a lot of people felt that he called a good game. And now the, the people that still hate Sonny, they're, they're never going to be satisfied until he's gone. But, and I mentioned this on the board, it, based off the seven games we've played right now, there, I'm sorry, you guys that are hating seven games in, he's not going to get fired. He's not going to get fired. So you, you might as well start it. You better start hoping TCU goes out there and averages 14 points for you guys that want to get rid of him. But he he called a he called a good game, and he got his weapons uh, utilized. He 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 played Max and, and gave Max comfortable throws. He he brought the game to him up tempo. That final drive in the first half. I mean that's that's one of those. I don't know. I mean it, you you look at the defense. Yeah, they might have been playing kind of a prevent, but. It's still you still have to throw and catch, and you still have to execute, and you still have to find the open receivers. And and Max once again under pressure leads him right down. I mean the the guy is just he plays good under pressure. I I don't know what it is, and he completes six of seven uh, to end the first half. Then he completes nine of twelve in the second half. But 
if I'm grading the the play calling uh, for Sonny on Saturday, I would give him I would give him an A. the the only The only play that I could even think of that I might have said, eh, I wish he would have ran something different right there, was the third and two when they ran Shaywo and Shaywo got tackled for a three yard loss. I think even when I was watching it back on uh, TV, that the announcer said everyone in the stadium knew it was going to the right. So. That might have been one of those plays where you would have liked to have seen Shaywell line up to the right and then they do a little reverse to Jalen like they did against Baylor last year. So, uh, But you're calling so many plays. If that's the only play you can distinctly remember that you thought uh, maybe sh- should have called something different, that's an A game. I, I'm telling you right now, it's an A game. And the one thing that they did, the, the players executed. Players executed. It's it's. When the players execute, your offensive coordinator looks a whole lot better. And that's what I said earlier in the show. We, I just kept watching and watching, and, and it, wasn't, it, it wasn't all on the coaches. Everyone wants to put blame somewhere. No one wants to put a lot of blame on players. They always want to blame the coaches because they know they're stuck with the players. But if they can get rid of the coach, get rid of the coach. Well, you can't really get rid of the coach right now because he's – I think they're still averaging 37 points per game. And, yeah, that might not be the greatest in the Big 12, but it's enough to win football games, and that's all that matters. I'll say this. It was enough to beat Texas. And I don't care that Texas is 5-3. and three. I don't care that maybe they should have lost to Kansas the week before. You beat Texas, it's good. You know, what did Coach Patterson say at the post-game uh, presser we were at? When you beat Texas, that's how you keep your job. Yeah. And if if they would have flipped the script and beaten Kansas State and lost to Texas, everyone would say that's the way, you know, maybe it was supposed to, sh- to shake out when you look at the preseason rankings in the Big 12. If they would have found a way to win that SMU game, we would probably be where outside observers thought that the Frogs would be. All I know is they beat Texas. Max had the breakout game when he needed and I feel much more confident going to Stillwater than I would have if they'd have beaten Kansas State and lost to Texas. Absolutely. With the with the with that script being flipped, I you know I don't know that they can beat Oklahoma State. I don't know who's going to how they're going to stop Hubbard. But what I do know is I'd rather go into this game in Stillwater off of a big win against the Longhorns than tripping up against Texas that is a team that's beatable. Yeah. So. You know, it's not nothing unfolds in a linear way. I think we all know that this is college football played by teenagers. But all that being said, this is a good spot for the Frogs to be considering everything that led up to that game. So this is where they are. We'll talk about what things are going to be like in Oklahoma State in a little bit here. But the Frogs are um, are four and three, and they beat Texas thirty-seven to twenty-seven. And as far as I'm concerned, that's about as well as that Saturday could have gone. That was their worst loss. By all right, the let's way. flip over. Real- that was Texas's worst loss. By oh, it was? Yeah, because they only lost by a touchdown to LSU and Oklahoma. Oh, I approve of that. I approve of that. I didn't think – somebody had mentioned that Oklahoma beat them by double digits. I didn't think they did. Yes, 34-27. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's their worst loss. Then that, I, I, will, I, will pri- I will wear that proudly. <laughs> Let's talk about the Longhorns here for a little bit. Uh, Daniel, do you feel – do you feel like Texas deserved to be number 15 coming into this game? Do you think that they were a little uh, hyped up, even though, uh, you know, the Frogs get the win. It's always a good win, always good to beat a ranked team. But do you feel like Texas was a little inflated just because of all of their T-shirt fans from Walmart? Not really. Uh, it, it's weird because, you know, look at Baylor. They're ranked like 12th now, and they're squeaking by a lot of this crap. They've had good wins, but, you know, 
there's there's a couple where they probably shouldn't have and so but i mean it's what else do you do you, you know it, it starts as the season progresses you know things start filtering out and texas probably was uh held up by their close loss to lsu because as we all know a loss to the sec is better than most wins um so <laughs> it, it, and it's true and lsu's number one and ap poll now so you know, we beat them more than LSU did. That's pretty cool. So, you know, but they've also had a lot of injuries and things. It's a very, so it's dynamic. And, um, but so I think 15 wasn't too bad for them to be, but then they lose and now they're out. They're not ranked at all. That's also where they deserve to be. So. Yeah, I won't disagree with any of that. Jeremy, what's wrong with Texas? I know they've they've got a lot of injuries, but hey, I don't want to hear about it as a frog fan. We've had injuries for what seems like two years now. What what's wrong with this? Sam throws four interceptions. Todd Orlando was the hottest defensive coordinator in the country like ten minutes ago. Now everybody wants to fire him. What's your assessment of where the Longhorns sit right now? Well, I think a lot of it does have to do with injuries. And yeah, they they do replace them with four and five star kids, but you don't have experience out there in Orlando's defense is a complex defense. You're, you're going to get, you're going to get uh, exposed. And that's what, that's what's happened. Um, and, and it would be like me not blaming TCU's tough uh, season a couple years ago or, or even last year without mentioning the injuries, the injuries play a big part. It, you don't have Caden Stearns out there. That's arguably the top safety in the big 12. And one of those players that I think, if he was playing out there when they threw that 24-yarder to Pro Wells, he might have picked it off. Um, you know, let's just be honest here. But they they don't have Caden Stearns. B.J. Foster's not out there. Um, and, and really, it it's just I can't, I can't put my finger on it other than just using the injury excuse. It's, and it's not really an excuse, man. It, it's tough when you have that many guys out. Now, on offense, I, I can't tell you because you've got – you had Keontae Ingram out there. You obviously had Sam Ellinger. You had Colin Johnson. You had DuVernay. They had all their, all their weapons on offense, and this was a game that the defense really came out. Yeah, Sam, Sam threw for uh, more yards, and Texas had more yards on offense, but I think they played – TCU's defense played better this week than, the, than they did against Kansas State last week. Obviously, the the takeaways help a lot, but it it's just it, it's crazy. I I don't know. I I think losing uh, is a it, it I I don't know how to say it. It's once you once you lose once, it it, it sometimes becomes a habit, and they've they've got to find out a way to to overcome that. Where the, and they've already played Kansas, so they don't have one of those easy wins left on the schedule. So um, they they've got to overcome those things. Uh, and it's like last year when we said t- uh, TCU went seven and six, might've been Gary Patterson's best year based off all the injuries. And you got to see what Tom Herman has. And he's got all of his offensive we- weapons right now. He's, he's got to find some answers on defense though. You know, a couple other takeaways from this game, uh, you know, I thought the crowd was pretty solid. I know that, you know, that's kind of a, a bottom rate discussion point, but I thought the, you know, the fans showed up, the students showed up. Yes, there was some purple in the stands, but it wasn't what I expected, to be honest. I mean, I, I expected it to be 
60-40 TCU fans. And, you know, there were some Texas fans there, as there should be. But I was really impressed with the turnout. I was really impressed with the crowd. I was really impressed with the student section. And that was a pretty solid game day atmosphere. So, if you know, I, I know you can't get that every single time. And there's clearly a, a, a chip on the shoulder mentality when you're playing the Longhorns. But I think Frog fans should be proud of themselves for the, for the way that they turned out and the energy that they brought. Because like you said, that moment when the hair stand, stood up on both of our arms when Max ran that in – I thought that stadium was going to pop. That's the loudest that I, I can remember in the last six or seven years. Maybe K-State, obviously Paul Dawson picking off that pass against OU. But, you know, we're getting to where that was a long time ago. So it's good to create some new memories. And if you were there for that game, man, enjoy it. Because that, that was a great moment and it was a turning point for Max Duggan, I think. So good for you guys that showed up and, and cheered on the Frogs. All right. Anything else from inside of this uh, the inside of this game? We're going to take a uh, quick glance around the rest of the Big Twelve and then look a little bit at recruiting. But anything else from this game that you guys really wanted to say on this episode? I think what Gary Patterson's been saying about Tay Barber the last mm-hmm. few weeks and how he's going to help really did help. I mean, that's that's one of those things where he said a lot during fall camp and early on. Everyone's it's totally opposite of what he was telling us this and that, but. Tay Barber did make a huge, huge difference on Saturday. And I think that's going to help moving forward. I, you've got to be able to be, uh, you've, you've got to be able to, to watch Barber now. You can't just double up on Jalen and, and, and hope all the other guys don't have any catches uh, if you're an opposing defense. But I think Tay being out there really helped. And I think defensively, I, I, I like the way Wyatt Harris is playing. I think he's, I think he's uh, picking up linebacker pretty good. I think for a true freshman, he's really smart. He he was second on the team in tackles, and I think he's only going to keep getting better. And, and in a position that we were kind of worried about, you got Wyatt Harris playing pretty well. You've got D. Winters that's played pretty well. The Kendrick might be back. I think Gary said today that he has a great chance of being back this week against Oklahoma State, which would be pretty good because he's probably the most athletic linebacker and he's going to have to match up against Chuba Hubbard at some point in the passing game. But uh, Keon Stewart came in and played pretty good um, at the last minute. Julius Lewis wasn't able to go. So you, you have some of those, uh, some of those uh, players that really stepped up in moments when they needed to. And I'll say this about Texas uh, Duvernay's really good. I mean, really good, but oh, TCU has really good. He's TCU has got to get better at, at making tackles. I mean, they, they have got to get better at making tackles, but, and I will say this about the takeaways. It was great to see all the takeaways. Great to see, uh, Ennis Gaines get that last interception. Tra- uh, Trayvon Merrick played really well. Um, our Darius Washington was a guy that I, man, I don't care how big he is. I think the guy needs to be on the field. I love Vernon Scott, love his physicality. But Ardarius is just a, a ball hawking safety. He's got tremendous ball skills. He knows he reminds me a lot of a, a smaller version of Chris Hackett, to be honest with you. Chris had tremendous ball skills. He he knew where the pass was going, I think, before the quarterback did. And that's why he had so many interceptions, not only in high school, but in, in college as well. And Ardarius reminds me of that. Man, if that kid was just bigger, he like I said on the board, he probably would have had forty over forty offers, but he plays bigger than what he is. He, he, he knows where the ball is going. He's, he's not out of position very often. And, and I think that's what Gary likes about him. And I think that's why people are probably shaking their head thinking, no, we don't need another Nico small, another small guy trying to 
tackle these 220 pound Oklahoma running backs. But if, if your guy's the, the smartest kid on the field, he, he needs to be on the field. But overall, I mean, just like you said earlier, Jeff, just, just a much needed and a great win for the Frogs. All right, two two things, I, you know, three things I wanted to bring up. Number one, uh, can we learn to cover the wheel route? Maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe I'm old fashioned, but I think we got to figure out how to cover the wheel route. That's one takeaway. Number two, uh, I, I met Bruce Feldman down there on the sidelines, who was a sideline reporter for Fox. He, actually, he and Stu Mandel have a really good podcast called The Audible. Really genuine guy, and the best part about him was he had the post game interview with Coach Patterson on the field after the game. I don't know if you've seen that clip. Yes. You can find it on Twitter. It is classic GP. His voice is beyond hoarse. <laughs> He's screaming with the students running all around him, which I'm going to get to in a second. Yeah. And so Bruce asked him one question, and he's like, <laughs> and then, he, then Bruce asked him the second question and said, um, is, is this going to be really good for the program? He goes, hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> it was crazy. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Oh, I love that. I well, love that. So Bruce got coach's to- family. He's, his dad's a coach. He loves talking <laughs> about right. mats. Speed, baby. He does. Speed, baby. Speed, baby. Hey, and then, I'd be remiss if I didn't say ahead. anything about Griffin Kell's 52-yard field goal. And Dylan Jones' punt when all of us in the press box were just wondering what <laughs> we were saying some uh, – I don't want to say too much, but no. I watched us all grab our uh, player sheet at the same time and want to know who's this guy going in there to punt. <laughs> well, that was after we were discussing how much it would cost to catch a flight to Australia or <laughs> send anyone back back home. Uh, I asked Coach Patterson about that today at the presser if if that meant that you know he was talking about guys making plays after the game on Saturday. And, and I asked him if, if Dylan was one of those guys that could possibly see the field along with our Darius Moore. And he was like, oh, I don't know about that too much. So I don't know if we'll see Dylan Jones out there punting first. I think they'll give Jordy another chance to see what he could do, but he can't have an extremely long leash right now. I don't think. No, he has to have a short lease, especially after uh, after how well Jones. I don't know if Jones did any better. I mean, let's just be honest. Well, he averaged he averaged he ten more yards a punt yeah. than he did than Jordy did. That's true. That's true. It was it was it was negligible. I'll say this: we need somebody that can pin them deep, and we don't have that person right now. Anson Kelton, please have a son and get him to college <laughs> at the rate of Dookie Hauser. That's what we need. The last thing I wanted to mention is if you are one of these grumpy old men that is mad that our student section who came here to win big games, rushed the field against TCU, just get off my lawn. You know, I am, I was glad for the students. I was glad for the fans. Let them pour out there. Let them enjoy it. Let them soak it up. And if, if somebody says, act like you've been there before, don't high five me when the frogs score a touchdown. Cause we've been in the end zone a lot. We've beaten Texas a lot. You say, don't act like you've been there. That is, um, that's not applicable to this because, as we said, that moment was a release of so much pent-up anxiety and, and frustration from this whole season, and it was a great moment, and I hope the students enjoyed it. 
It was homecoming. I hope a lot of uh, guys in their late 20s that used their student ID to get in, hope they enjoyed running onto the field as well. Nothing wrong with enjoying college football. It's supposed to be fun. I hope they had fun. That's all I have to say about that. Coach, Coach Patterson said it's good for the students and the players to have that kind of relationship, and it's good for the student body to have that kind of relationship with the athletes that play any kind of sport at TCU. So he, he was for it, obviously, and, and like you said, pent up tensions and anyone that says act like you've been there before you've got your head in the sand you you think tcu's a top 10 team right now they're not and we don't know when they're going to be like that again so when you get a chance to get out there and do a little celebrating get out there and do it go ahead tcu fans go out there and do it don't worry about the old guys and even the young 20 guys don't don't worry about those guys either go out there and do your thing enjoy it that's what i have to say all right, three other games in the Big 12. We could talk about each of these games for a couple of hours. I'm just going to highlight each one of them in reverse reverse order of shock, and the order might um, shock you. Oklahoma State beats Iowa State 34-27. They force a lot of turnovers from Brock Purdy, and they get the win. Kansas State upsets Oklahoma 48-41. to Oklahoma's Big 12 title, uh, their their playoff title, their playoff hopes are really in question now. Um, Baylor has the driver's seat to the Big 12 title game. Uh, but Oklahoma, they lay an egg, man. Kansas State looks really good. And what does that make that frog loss look like last week? But finally, the wildest game. The wildest game. I got home in time to see this. Kansas beats Texas Tech 37-34. Tech blocks a kick. As time was running out, in order to for Kansas going to uh, take the win, the game's going to go to overtime. They block the kick, and a player from Kansas or from Tech picks it up, turns around to lateral it to someone in the belief that hey, the clock's running out. Let's try to see if we can get it down the field rugby style. Laterals it to no one. Kansas jumps on the ball. There's a few seconds left. They kick the field goal in regulation to win the game. Les Miles gets a Big Twelve win. Jeremy, which of those three? <laughs> All right, which was the biggest shocker of those three guys? I want to hear from both of you. That's easy for me. Oklahoma losing to Kansas State. I, I, I would have lost a lot of money if you told me that Kansas State would have scored forty-eight. I don't care how bad Oklahoma's defense played against Kansas State; they've been playing better all year under uh, Grinch, but. There is there's no way anyone could have convinced me, even if I had a time machine, I still wouldn't have believed it, that Kansas State would have scored 48 points and beat OU. Uh, and, and really, it was a blowout up until late in the game. I think Kansas State was up, what was it, 48 to 23, Jeff? Is that the score, what it was? Yeah, it, yeah they were up big. Yeah, they weren't only beating them, they were just dominating them. And, and it kind of makes you look at that TCU game and think, yeah, maybe it wasn't that bad, and and, and it, you look at TCU and Kansas State, you're 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 thinking, man, TCU was just a couple of mistakes away from from winning that game. And last week, I told you guys, there's three good teams in the Big Twelve: Baylor, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. And there were seven coin flips. Seven, you don't know what you're going to get out of them. I don't know what the hell I'm going to get out of any of these ten teams now. It, it's it's up in the air. It truly is. It, it's up in the air. Any team can beat anyone. That includes 
Oklahoma losing. That includes Baylor losing. I mean, it just there's there's no definite top team to me. You know, every underdog in the Big Twelve won this weekend. All three of the underdogs won this weekend. That should tell you everything you know about the wide open race in the Big Twelve. I think we it, at one time we all thought, you know, basically three through eight or nine was kind of jumbled. I think everything one through ten is jumbled right now. So who knows? Who yeah. knows how this is gonna if you think you know what the final rankings in the Big Twelve are gonna be, you're lying. Or you're taking a guess. Because nobody really knows. I still think Baylor's going to lose two or three games. And right now they're undefeated. They're, like you said, they're in the driver's seat. Um, and Iowa State, they have two losses now. TCU has two losses. Texas has two losses. Kansas State has two losses. Oklahoma, I could see them losing to any of the teams left on their schedule. Oklahoma State, they got three losses. West, I mean, West Virginia and Texas Tech and Kansas, they – they could sneak up on someone and beat them. Obviously, Kansas almost beat Texas. They get a big win over Tech at home last week. West Virginia is probably the only team that I can honestly say I don't think will win any game. But I need to take that back right now and knock on wood because if I say that, then somehow they'll get a miracle win over TCU. But it it is really a, a wide-open race. It, it, we could very easily be seeing a two – a championship game, Jeff and Daniel, with two teams in it with two losses apiece in Big 12 play. Tech had Baylor beat. They beat Baylor. And the refs in the Big 12 office admitted it after the game. There was a big uh, screw-up in terms of an illegal snap that should have been a fumble that, that, that you know, extended the game. So I think I – think, uh, yeah, I think Baylor's going to lose a couple down the stretch. I think they'll probably lose to TCU and, and OU. That's just me. I'm, I'm not biased, like I like to say. So, yeah, it's wide open. If you don't fret about the playoff, that means this league is a heck of a lot of fun. You want to watch every single game in this league because it is a heck of a lot of fun. That's what seems to be proven over and over again watching the Big 12. I know who was disappointed the most in the Oklahoma loss besides Sooner fans. It was probably uh, Bob Bowlesby. Because essentially with that loss, you're – I mean, Oklahoma's ranked 10th now, and they have a slight outside shot if they win the rest of their games. But it it was not good for the Big 12 for OU to lose to Kansas State. No, it was not good. It was not good. And, so. and now you better be watching the home cooking from the rest for the Baylor games the rest of the way out. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be a fun meltdown to watch. For all Daniel, you guys anything that like from the critique refs? Start watching all the Baylor games really closely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daniel, anything else from the rest of the Big Twelve or college football that you want to highlight before we uh, get some recruiting and wrap this thing up? No. I believe you. <laughs> Well, before we get to recruiting, Jeremy, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor, Teen Life, great organization in DFW. Go out of your way to support them. Get online. I know you're wasting a lot of time on your phone. You get stuck in the bathroom. Go to teenlife.ngo. 
pull out your wallet, make a donation, find a way to volunteer, help out kids in junior high and high school, let them get a better chance in life. Go to teamlife.ngo, support this great organization, friend of the Frogcast, somebody that, um, you know, they got members of their board that are on our message board at hornfrogblitz.com. Go and support them. They're a great group, and you won't regret investing in them. Jeremy, we had a lot of people on campus this weekend, some official, some unofficial. Give us a little highlight of the players that we had on campus and any word about their experience. Uh, uh, the biggest guy on campus was Marvin Mims. Um, in case you guys haven't figured it out, he's the guy that I've heard that uh, could be decommitting from Stanford and, and TCU and, and Oklahoma State are two teams that I've heard that are uh, in really good position. Um, he's been over to TCU a lot of times, and and obviously they're they're trying to get him. They're still trying to get Quentin Johnson. Uh, Quentin's already made an official visit to TCU, so he can't go back. But getting Marvin over there on campus was really big, I, I, and I I think it couldn't it couldn't have worked out any better just for the number one reason because they they threw the ball extremely well and they could basically sell to Marvin. Listen, this guy's a true freshman. This guy will be throwing to you at least three of your years here at TCU if you decide to come here. Uh, and, and obviously the atmosphere was really good and the wind was really good. So, I, you know, hearing from some guys, they, they said Marvin had a really good visit. Um, if you look at it, it was really mostly a, a group of 2021 kids. And Jeff, I think a couple of them even reached back to you. Um, overall, the, the, the recruits are, they really enjoyed being there. Um, and it was, it, it, like I said, it was one of those games where, it was it was great to have those guys there for that game. You get a chance to have that kind of atmosphere and to beat Texas. No commitments. I mean, I'm I was very upfront with that before the weekend even started. That anyone that thinks that one game is going to lead to commitments, I mean, you haven't been following recruiting for that long. No offense, but it 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 one win doesn't mean you're going to start getting commitments flooding in. Does it help them as far as the the interest level, yeah, it does. Um, Jeff, I think Byron Murphy reached out to you. He's a kid that I really like out of DeSoto. And, you know, reading some of the comments he had sent to you, that that was that was pretty good. Um, where he likes them, Brandon Campbell. Uh, and, and a lot of those guys, like Brendan Hawkins, they have a high interest in TCU. Uh, Shamar Turner out of DeSoto has a high interest in TCU. So I think wins like this, don't necessarily help the 2020 class, but it could help the 2021 class, in my opinion, and, and kind of build on things down the road. But it it obviously was a, a pretty good weekend for for TCU and the coaches, and and really getting those recruits on campus and and showing what it's all about. One last guy, Jimmy Holiday, took an official visit to Tennessee. You know, wide receiver, an athlete, really, out of the state of Mississippi. Seemed as if he had a had a good experience, and he talked about how he has Tennessee in his top five, even though he's committed to the Frogs. Any update on his recruitment? Anything we should keep an eye on there? Or I guess better, is he going to flip? I don't know if he's going to flip or not. I don't know if Tennessee's really selling him on quarterback. Most most teams recruiting Jimmy right now have have been up front and said, hey, listen, you're a good athlete. We think you could be a great receiver for us. Uh there's not very many FBS type programs, uh, especially at the power five level that are recruiting him other than as a receiver. Uh, if, if TCU's told him he could play quarterback, it's probably, um, we'll let come in. We'll let you at least 
throw some passes, try, you know, get evaluated at it, see where you fit in with the rest of the group. But it's the same way everywhere else. He's not going to go to Tennessee to play quarterback. I mean, I've even talked to the guys that covered Tennessee and they're all saying the same thing. It's receivers. So uh, he, he's got a good relationship with the TCU coaches. They've, they've stayed on top of it. They, they knew he was going down to Tennessee for an official visit. Uh, they're trying to get him back on campus to come down for a game, which I think he'll end up doing. Um, but it it is – you don't ever want to say there's nothing to worry about unless the kid has straight up told you there's nothing to worry about. And in this case, Jimmy hasn't said that. So if he's going to take official visits and, and, and listening to others, then it's still something to watch. Um, but like I said, this this game hopefully helps – helps TCU a little bit in, in regards to throwing the football and, and proving to him that TCU does have a pretty good quarterback that can that can launch it, and you'll have a good chance to come in as a receiver and, and make some plays. But it, it will be interesting. He He's supposed to be an uh, early graduate and, and be on campus in, in January. So if he, if he does decide to change his mind, he would probably be doing it pretty quick. Yeah, I watched one of the interviews he had with one of the sites from Tennessee. And, yeah, he's an early enrollee, so he's not just an early commit. He's an early enrollee. So he's got he's to make up his mind here pretty, pretty quick. So, all I mean, right. Doing, uh, I, I, would, I would say they're doing, they're I, yeah. doing pretty good. Um, obviously, <laughs> they, they just got a guy switching from LSU and pa- Patrick Jenkins, and that wasn't one of those situations where they said, uh, we're going to let him go. They didn't want to lose Patrick Jenkins, trust me. And TCU is obviously trying to stay in there with Marvin Mims. They're still trying to recruit Quentin Johnson, uh, Johnston, and there's some other names. Garrett Hayes is another good name um, that they're still heavily recruiting and, and feel pretty good about. There'll be some there'll be some other names down down the line that there's there's some other kids that they're still actively talking to that are committed to other schools right now. I don't want to mention names quite yet on that but it it's better on the recruiting front than what most people give them credit for are they going to go out and sign 10 four-star recruits no they're not going to do that but it i think in the in the end it's going to be a class that i think everyone's going to be pretty satisfied with and, and one that i think will still end up finishing third or fourth in the big 12 all right, let's uh, real quick get some predictions on the record here and then we will wrap this episode up Daniel, we're going to start with you. Game of interest to me, just down the street. College game day, coming to Memphis. SMU, 8-0. Memphis, 7-1. Number 15 against number 24. Against the spread, Memphis is a five-and-a-half point favorite at home against the Ponies. Daniel, do you have Memphis covering five-and-a-half against SMU? I don't have a clue what Memphis is doing this year. Uh, so You need to call your bookie. Yeah, uh, I would guess SMU, you know, is kind of steamrolling it. Not, not steamrolling, but they're trucking along. So uh, I would give the, I would no, I don't think they cover. Let's say that. All right, Jeremy, who do you have? Well, Memphis beat Temple pretty bad. Wait, no, Temple beat Memphis no, pretty no. bad. No. Is that right? Temple beat Tem- Memphis, Tem- right? Temple beat Memphis on a controversial call. Okay, well, they beat them. 
And then SMU beat Temple really bad. So give me Memphis. I'm doing my Memphis and SMU impersonation. Yeah, Memphis and SMU both should have lost to Tulsa, and they didn't. So I'm going to go ahead and take SM uh, Memphis to win, but SMU to cover the five and a half. All right, another game in the uh, game in the Big Twelve. Baylor in West Virginia, Halloween night in Morgantown. There is not enough moonshine on the shelf for that game. <laughs> Man, that will. Oh, Lots that's going to be a, such a fun gonna, word. Probably because you just think of your granny drinking it. Yeah, I just get visuals of people in overalls. And you ever watch that show, Moonshiners? Oh, Jim Tom. You got me on. Mute. I've never watched it. Okay. No, no, I've, I've never watched it. No, I've never watched it. So interesting. Show. All right, West Virginia. Yeah, Baylor is a seventeen and a half point favorite going to West Virginia, Morgantown on Halloween night. Does Baylor cover seventeen and a half, Jeremy? No. No, I agree with you. I think uh, West Virginia covers that. Daniel, we already know your answer. You got Baylor losing to West Virginia, correct? Yes. By a thousand points. Good answer. A thousand points. I think somebody's already into the moonshine. That's all I have to say. Somebody is into the moonshine. All right, let's get two more games in here real quick. Uh, one of the games that was of note to me was, uh, you know, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but Utah and Washington. Utah is set, is seven and one. They're number nine. They're fighting up the ladder to stay relevant in that playoff conversation. Utah is a three and a half point favorite against Washington, who's a disappointing five and three. Jeremy, do you have Utah or Washington in that one? Give me Utah, Johnny Utah, Daniel. Yeah, Utah. I'm going to go with Utah as well. I think Utah is going to win the Pac-10. I don't think they're going to finish twelve and one, but I do think they're going to uh, uh, win the pack, win the pack twelve. Excuse me, the pack twelve. All right, last game. I'm designating this one as the pillow fight. Tell me how much money you would have to be paid to watch Rutgers and Illinois, Jeremy. You taking Illinois or Rutgers? Oof. Who cares? <laughs> Is there a point spread on this one? Uh, well, like I didn't want to say it because one? no, the Illini are twenty-one point favorites. Oh my gosh! There's no way they cover that. I didn't think but, so either. But I, I would go to watch it. I mean, hell, I sat through the damn cheese it bowl. <laughs> you know, the reason I, I brought this game up is you couldn't name one player between these two teams. And both of these teams make more money than USC. They make more money than Oklahoma. They make more money than Clint. They make twice as much money as Clemson and Florida State. They are living off of that Big Ten paycheck. So I can they name might, one player. Uh, they might be. Who's that? Beeson. From Bishop Dunn, and what about the defensive tackle that our friend Purple Putt ran off? I didn't think he was still there. I thought he left after his first year. Oh, Beeson left? 
Or the defensive tackle. I thought so. That de- that defensive tackle that we had commit that was going to commit, and then some fool on our message board ran him off. Hmm. That's a good homework project to to go and study. Nah, I'm not. Research. I'm not going to put an out of energy. Yeah, I'm not going to put any energy. That. You know, you love. We've already talked. No, I do not. We put more energy into Rutgers in Illinois than than is worthy of any conversation. Um, the one game I do want to watch is is uh, Kansas Kansas State. I think that's going to be an interesting Ooh, game. So where's that going to be the, at? Some, that game is at uh, at Kansas. So who do you think? Yeah, is, that game is, is Kansas. Is it, is it obvious that Chris Kleiman has done the best in the Big Twelve of all the new coaches? Oh, he's coach of the. He's not just the uh, best of the new coaches. He's coach of the year in the Big Twelve, as far as I'm concerned. I think so. I mean, I know there's. I think so. If they finish eight and four, and they were predicted to finish ninth in the league, yeah, he's he he's going to have a road win at Mississippi State, and he's got a win over Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, I think so. What about I think Baylor? so. What about Matt Rule? Because weren't they picked fifth uh, or sixth? They were picked fifth, I believe, but they're not. Uh, they're not done losing yet. So, I agree. Baylor. I mean, yeah, Rule deserves it. I mean, Rule's a great coach. I, I've, I've said that since day one. But what Kleiman's done, he's great. I mean, how do you argue with that? My favorite are the people are the K State fans that were really mad when they hired him. This guy won what four national titles in five years, and they yeah. think they could have done better than him. Do you really? Do you really think Seth Seth Luttrell is beating Oklahoma last weekend or yesterday no. or Saturday? No. no, no, he's not. No, he is not. So it all worked out. It all worked out. All right. Anything else before we bring this podcast to an end? Because this old guy's got to get to bed. I got nothing. All right. Well, I got nothing either, man. I got nothing either. I appreciate you guys waiting a day to get this episode. I was driving home from the game or from church on Sunday in Alito. Took me forever to get home. That Arkansas road construction is awful. So we had to record here on a Monday night. Thank you for your patience. As always, we want to encourage you to go to iTunes and subscribe and rate and review our show. We would love to be five star. We would love to be a five star recruit and a, and a podcast in your eyes. So please give us a rating and review. Also, if you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com, join our online community. You can keep up with all the great discussion, all the great insights. We got some player news in there that's not great news, but you're not going to hear about it on anywhere other than hornfrogblitz.com. Go do that right now. You'll be connected to frog fans as well as the best source inside of TCU football, Jeremy Clark. So for Jeremy and for Daniel, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frog Podcast.